Hello, and welcome to Ballistic Performance Radio. This is your one-stop shop for all things nutrition, fitness, and mindset. Our goal is to help you make fitness and nutrition a part of your life, not your whole life. We discuss a variety of topics, including faith, self-awareness, sustainability and consistency, training programs, grocery store navigation, and how to enjoy your favorite foods without guilt or remorse. There is a lot of noise out there in the world of health and fitness, so we're here to provide real, reliable, and practical answers and recommendations that will keep you moving forward on your journey. My wife Ashley and I are your hosts, and please do not hesitate to reach out on social media to say hello, ask questions, or comment on this week's episode. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Right, welcome back. This is episode 132, and today I am bringing you the top five most overrated exercises based on our experience in the industry, which is between the two of us over 15 years from Division One Strength and Conditioning to Corporate Wellness all the way to Personal Training. So really excited to dive into this conversation today. But before we do so, just to give you some quick updates with Ballistic Performance, uh, we are preparing to restock the spring collection, which was the white ballistic basic tee, the long sleeve heather gray shirt, and the cropped tank, which I believe the color was called dusty blue. Uh, but you can check all of those out on our store. The link for that will be in the show notes. Again, we're preparing to restock that uh, because we are we love that line, and it seems that a lot of other people have loved it as well. So we wanted to bring that back around. So keep your eye out for that. Then our wait list for one-on-one nutrition and fitness coaching is still open, so you can still get your name on that list and be the first to know when spots become available and have first dibs. And if you are local, you're in the greater Dubois area and you're interested in personal training, that wait list is open as well. So if that's something you've been considering, thinking about, now is the time to get your name on the list so that you have the opportunity to do so once spots become available. Okay, enough updates. That was pretty concise this time. Pretty happy with that. Let's get into the conversation. So over the last 15 years, and again, that's collectively between Ash and I, in the fitness and nutrition industry, or space, however you want to phrase it, we have come across and recognized some patterns. And one of the most prevalent was talking people out of feeling the need to include or to do what we feel are the most overrated exercises. So these conversations would come up during client check-ins, just during conversation with friends and family about specific exercises that they've seen on Instagram, Facebook, that their favorite Fitzbo was posting or raving about and why those exercises might not be the most ideal, why they might not be the most effective and why some of them are just complete bullshit. So, With that said, I want to make it clear that not all of these are complete crap. Some of them do have a time and place, and we'll make sure to elaborate on that. But in general, we feel that these exercises are overrated or utilized in the wrong capacity. 
So let's break it down, starting, these aren't in any particular order. We're just going to start at the top and work our way through. So number one is going to be banded pull-ups. Now, often you see these used for beginners, for people who don't have pull-ups. And with the band, obviously, if I use that for assistance, I can get my chin up or the bar and achieve a pull-up. Now, the problem is bands provide what's called accommodating resistance, meaning as the band stretches further and further, the force becomes greater than great and greater, or the resistance. So when you apply that to a banded pull-up, it makes the pull-up easier and easier as you lower yourself into the bottom of the repetition, right? Or when you start at the bottom and pull yourself up, that assistance is greatest at the bottom and then decreases as you pull to the top. Well, the bottom third of the pull-up is typically the most difficult. That's why when you see folks who hop up on the bar and attempt a strict pull-up and don't have one, they bend their elbows maybe an inch or two and then kind of get stuck in that position. So the band is making the hardest part of the pull-up significantly easier, which when you train that consistently means that you're not actually developing the strength that you need to perform a pull-up without the band. So banded pull-ups are not for beginners, at least not in our opinion. Instead, they are for the advanced. They are a tool that can be utilized by people who have been resistance training or training in general for three, five, seven years to allow them to achieve greater training volumes and to perform supra-maximal sets, or in other words, reaching failure and then continuing to perform repetitions. So oftentimes, what you'll see in the ballistic performance programs is as we're progressing through, eventually, there will become a, a point where in that training cycle, you'll perform a maximum number of strict pull-ups followed immediately by five to seven band-assisted pull-ups. And the entire intent behind that is super-maximal training. You're going to perform as many strict repetitions as possible, and the moment you reach failure, you're going to utilize the band for assistance and perform X number of repetitions more. This helps reinforce the concept of training at incredibly high volumes and training past our current capacity. Now that's an advanced concept. That's not something that everyone needs to utilize, but that is how we often utilize bands when it comes to banded pull-ups. So if you're not at that stage and you're not capable of performing strict pull-ups followed by banded pull-ups, you're not ready for super maximal sets or greater volume in general, what can you do instead of a banded pull-up, what's going to be more effective? Number one, you can go all the way down to a lat pull-down, whether it's on a cable machine or with a band uh, on a pull-up bar, and you can do a lat pull-down. That is going to be more effective in developing the ability to recruit your lats and your biceps to pull into that position. It's going to be more effective in terms of developing the capacity to eventually perform a strict pull-up. Those might have been the same thing as I'm talking. I think I just repeated myself just in a different way. Uh, but you get the picture. It's a more effective tool. Secondly, you could go with a seated bar or seated ring pull-up, 
We utilize these all the time across all of our programs. So if you've never seen what that looks like, you essentially have a bar across a rack at a height at which you can sit on the ground and reach up and grab it with elbows fully extended. You're going to tuck your feet up towards your butt so that your feet are flat on the ground, heels are close to your butt, and you're just going to pull up to where at the top of the rep, your chin is over the bar and it looks like you're sitting in a chair. Your torso is vertical and your hips are at 90 degrees and then reset back down. Same thing can be done on the rings. Set the rings to a height that when I'm sitting on the ground, I can reach them with elbows extended and then pull myself up into that finished position. These are a fantastic tool to build volume and to increase muscular endurance and muscular strength to eventually hop up on the bar and start doing things like eccentric pull-ups or isometric pull-ups, which are actually the next item or alternative on the list. Utilizing those holds or those slower negative phases or eccentric reps is a great way to build the strength necessary to eventually achieve a pull-up too. So those are better alternatives compared to the banded pull-up. Now, does that mean our opinion is 100% correct and everybody else is full of shit? No. You'll see other coaches and other trainers utilize banded pull-ups in other fashions, but we believe that the banded pull-up is absolutely not a tool for beginners and that it is 100% something that should be utilized by more advanced individuals. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, push-ups on your knees or the quote-unquote girl push-up. Can you still say that? You probably can't, but you've, you fucking know what I mean. The girl push-up on your knees on the floor. This is used most often to scale the push-up for beginners, for folks who either struggle with push-ups or don't have push-ups whatsoever. The problem is it's not the most ideal modification. It's actually not even close. Push-ups on your knees are a trap. The body, number one, is in a compromised position. Number two, it's nearly impossible to actually progress that variation. Right? How are you supposed to build the actual strength to do a push-up when once you're on your knees, there's nowhere else to go? How do you advance it from that? How do you make it more difficult and progress your way to an actual push-up on your toes? Really, the only way would be to increase the volume on those push-ups on your knees and eventually it just gets to a point where that may not translate over or correlate to an actual push-up. So we believe that you should completely forget about push-ups on your knees. Fuck those. Never do them again. Literally never again. Instead, you can perform any of these alternatives that will help you work your way toward not only your first push-up on your toes, but 5, 10, 15, 20 plus repetitions to where you're actually developing proficiency in that movement. So the first and our favorite by far is elevating your hands for the push-up. And when I say elevating your hands, I'm talking about using a box, a bench, a bar in a rack, whatever it takes, but getting your hands up off the ground, keeping your feet or toes on the ground, and performing the push-up. So with a box or bench, for example... You put your hands on the bench in that slightly wider than shoulder width position. You'd lower your body down until your chest touches the bench and then you'd press back until the elbows are fully extended and you reach that starting position once again. Now the great thing about elevating the hands is that's your starting point. Let's say it's a, a bench. That's about 14 to 16 inches off the ground. Well, once you develop proficiency in that and you're able to do 15, 20 plus repetitions in a single set, across multiple sets, then 
you can work your way down to 12 inches. And you can find an object that's about 12 inches off the ground and do the same thing. Develop capacity across two to three sets, accumulating you know, 15 to 20 reps there. Then you can progress even further down, 8 inches, 6 inches, 2 inches, etc., until your hands get to the floor. And by that time, you will have the ability to perform multiple repetitions in a good position with solid mechanics without feeling the need to compromise that position in any way or feeling like you need to drop to the knees or perform greater volumes of other exercises to try to help supplement the, the lack of ability to do a push-up. So that's one of our favorite ways to progress on the push-up. Now, you can also do eccentric push-ups with your hands elevated. So maybe you're really struggling with the push-up and you don't even have the ability to do a push-up with your hands on a bench all the way down, all the way up. Well, in that case, you can put your hands on a bench or a box and you can lower yourself down slow and controlled for three to five seconds and then relax, climb or reset back up to the top, however you want to phrase that, and go again. You can also do eccentric push-ups with your hands on the ground. So getting in that setup position, lowering yourself down slow and controlled all the way to the point where your chest and thighs are on the deck, and then dropping to your knees and climbing or resetting back up, so to speak, to the top of the next rep. All of those are much more efficient and effective ways to develop the capacity to perform a push-up than dropping to your knees and doing dozens and dozens of repetitions in that poor compromised position. Okay, number three, bench dips. You all know what I'm talking about, right? You have your hands on a bench or a box behind you, your feet are on the ground, and you just lower yourself down into this really shitty looking compromised position and press yourself back to the top. And really all you can feel during that time is just the tension on your shoulders and the the strain in your triceps bench dips are literally the one of the worst if not the worst exercises of all time they do not provide the same stimulus as a normal dip and it significantly compromises the position of your shoulder in a normal dip yes our shoulders are slightly internally rotated and they're obviously extended but we're able to keep the shoulder in a relatively compact position and keep them retracted. When we go into a bench dip, now we're forcing our torso forward of where our hands are going to be. And as we descend down or lower ourselves down on that bench dip, the shoulder naturally wants to come further forward and internally rotate in order to get into that position. And when we do that over the course of dozens or hundreds of reps over, you know, over the course of your training cycle, that crushes the shoulder. So instead of trying to utilize bench dips or doing bench dips in your program, scrap those and utilize one of the following alternatives. Number one, eccentric or negative dips. So hopping up into a supported position on the rings or the bar, or whatever you're doing your dips on, and then lowering yourself down slow and controlled until your shoulder gets below your elbow. We'll call that the bottom position. Now it's a little more technical than that, but just for the sake of the argument here, stay with me. Then you would jump down and completely relax and climb back up or jump back up to the top of the next rep. So that's one of the best ways to develop time under tension and the adaptations you need to be able to achieve your first strict dip. 
Another option is to perform dips with your feet supported on the ground, but your hands are going to be on either boxes or parallettes. And now you're probably thinking, wait, you just said don't do a box dip or a bench dip. I'm not talking about having my hands behind me on a box. I'm talking about setting up two boxes side by side or a pair of parallettes side by side, standing in between them, one hand on each, and then keeping my feet on the ground, lowering myself down until my butt touches the floor, right? Or if I'm on a higher set of boxes, just until I reach that bottom position of the dip, and then pressing back up. That is much different than the position that the bench dip puts your shoulders into. That is more of a true dip position because imagine if I'm on a set of uh, bars for a dip, as I lower myself down, my torso stays relatively underneath my body. My feet might be slightly out in front of me. I'm maintaining that semi-hollow shape as I lower down and then press back to the top. Well, when I have two boxes side by side and my feet are on the ground and I lower myself down slow and controlled, that's very, very similar to that previous position that I just explained. So that's a great option. And then lastly, if I don't have that ability or if that's too cumbersome to set up because you do need two relatively high boxes or a set of parallettes, which not everyone has, then you could just go with either a deficit push-up where my hands are on a set of dumbbells or plates. Or if that's too difficult, I could just go with a standard push-up. Those are all significantly better options than trying to utilize a bench dip. So fucking forget about the bench dips. Pick one of those alternatives we just discussed, and you're going to see incredible results and progress from that. Number four, the sumo deadlift. Now, the sumo deadlift 100% absolutely has merit, but that doesn't mean that you should be doing it. Now, the sumo deadlift is used in powerlifting because generally, more weight can be moved from that position. You have greater leverage in that starting position. You can recruit more of your anterior chain or your quadriceps specifically in that position. And so you tend to be able to move larger loads. But that sumo stance really doesn't translate over to anything else in the gym or outside the gym in sport. When are you ever in that exaggerated of a position where your feet are well beyond the shoulders and you're in an almost vertical or upright torso position? Really, never. You're not like that in any sport. You're not like that in any daily activity that we'd be doing. So the conventional deadlift, where my feet are under my hips, is a much more practical exercise in which it becomes the foundation of more advanced exercises like the clean. And it applies to real life. Literally, anytime you bend over to pick something up off the ground, you're doing some variation of a deadlift, and 9.9 times out of 10, your feet are right underneath your hips. They are not out underneath your shoulders. Again, I'm not saying the sumo deadlift can't be utilized. We utilize it in our programs, but we perform the conventional deadlift significantly more. So that's your alternative. You can even utilize dumbbells or kettlebells and perform a variation of the conventional deadlift just with a different object. So that is a much more efficient and effective way to train, at least in our opinion. Okay, fifth and final movement. And this is more of a cardiovascular exercise or a dynamic uh, cyclical exercise, and that is long distance running. Now, to be clear, 
I am not saying that running is bad or that you don't need to develop aerobic capacity. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. So take a breath before you try to jump through the headphones and punch me in the face. What I'm saying is long distance running is a cop out for most people because they don't have to overexert themselves and they can sort of just move through the motions, put in the time and get the hell out of there or get the hell home. Not to mention, most people suck at running. Yes, there are techniques and mechanics associated with running that can make you good or bad at it. And running long, slow distance every single day with poor mechanics beats the hell out of your body. That's why you see so many runners that can't do anything aside from running because they are broken. Long distance running is great if you're training for something specific like a marathon, a half marathon, an Ironman, or a 10K, anything in the realm of running performance-wise. The problem is most folks are running because they want to lose weight, maintain their weight, or just burn more calories. And for those reasons, running is significantly overrated. There are other alternatives that provide the exact same energy expenditure or even greater that don't beat the hell out of your body and that will leave you feeling a hell of a lot more invigorated and fulfilled by the end. So let's go over a few of those. Number one is just find a different machine find a different machine or different mode of this aerobic type exercise. You can bike, you can row, you can do a ski erg, you can hop on the elliptical. All of those are ways in which you can still train your cardiorespiratory system without the impact and the severity that a lot of long-distance running will cause. Yes, I said elliptical. Elliptical is fine, especially if you're just looking for energy expenditure and to spend some time training your cardiorespiratory system, specifically zone 2 cardio. That's a great option. It's super low impact. It's smooth. It's something that you can do uh, for longer periods of time, so that's a great option. But also bike, row, and ski. Uh, if those aren't something you're interested in, you can walk, jog. So walking at a more brisk pace for X amount of time and then jogging for a shorter period of time and then repeating that cycle throughout the duration of your exercise. Another option would be hiking. Right, Hiking is a great way to move into some of that lower zone two cardiorespiratory type training that's going to benefit your heart health, your functioning of your lungs, as well as your other cardiorespiratory system. So that's another great option. And then lastly, if you are diehard, you want to run, that's great. But how about you try sprinting instead of half-assing a 400 meter run in between your workouts? Actually take the time to methodically purposely and aggressively sprint and see how you feel after 30 minutes of that. You are going to be significantly more fatigued, but you are going to receive a, a ton of additional adaptations. It's going to make you more athletic. It's going to make you more fit. Sprinting is an incredible tool that's significantly underutilized. All right. That wraps up the top five most overrated exercises. Now, there are certainly more. There are certainly others we could have included in the conversation, but those are the first five that came to mind just based on our experiences and our conversations with clients over the last 15 years 
uh, collectively between Ash and I. So if you have other exercises that you'd like us to chat about, or if you disagree with anything that we just went over, please send us a DM on Instagram at ballistic.performance, or you can send us an email at hello at trainballistic, and we'd be more than happy to chat with you, debate with you, share some information on the next episode, but make sure you hit us up if that's the case. All right, closing it out today. Just a quick recap. If you are someone who is interested in working with us one-on-one for fitness and nutrition coaching, you need to get your name on the wait list. The link for that will be in the show notes, but that way you will have first dibs when spots become available. If you are local and you're interested in personal training, also get your name on that wait list so that you have an opportunity to do so as spots become available. And then finally, we just ask that if you enjoyed this episode and you got something out of it, that you please share it with someone, the fitness enthusiast who is in your in your circle or in your corner, so to speak, who's in your life. Uh, we would really, really appreciate that. And if you haven't done so, please head over to iTunes, head over to Apple, whatever the hell they're calling it these days, and leave a rating. A five-star rating would be preferred, but leave a review in there as well. That's how we reach more people and change more lives through the platform. We appreciate you guys so, so much. And as always, we thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Whether this is your first time tuning in or if you're here with us each and every week, Ash and I just want to take a moment to express our thanks and gratitude. We are so incredibly blessed to have your support and we could not continue to show up week in and week out if it were not for you. If you enjoy what you hear in this channel, please head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, leave a review in there as well. That is how we reach more people and change more lives through the platform. Lastly, if you don't follow us across all of our other social media accounts, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. Our handles are either ballistic.performance or ballistic performance across all of those platforms. Or you can check us out online at trainballistic.com. Again, we appreciate and love you so much, and we hope you have a fantastic week.